If I were to ask you to make a list of the top 10 miracles of Jesus, there is no doubt in my mind that your list might include miracles such as Jesus healing the blind man or Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. I mean, that's a pretty powerful miracle, definitely worthy of the top 10. Jesus multiplying the bread the fish, or walking on water, maybe even Jesus commanding the seas to be calm, and boom, they were calm. Many of these miracles are common, noteworthy, and would make even a very elementary student of Scripture's top ten lists of the miracles of Jesus. My guess, though, is that the miracle we're going to be looking at this morning would not crack the typical top ten. And yet, the miracle we're going to examine this morning not only rivals many of these common, famous miracles, but with the exception of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I think is one of the most powerful miracles and important miracles of Jesus' entire earthly ministry. We begin verse 40 of Mark chapter 1. Now a leper came to Jesus imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, before we get into the scene itself, I think it would be helpful if we took just a few minutes and examined the plight of the leper before looking at anything else concerning the scene. Leprosy. Leprosy today is referred to as Hansen's disease. Though it is still as incurable today as it was in the first century, today there are many treatment options that keep the disease itself from being a death sentence. It's not nearly as life-threatening as it once was. However, today you might be surprised to note that there are 15 million people infected with leprosy, with around 100 cases per year being diagnosed in the United States. Leprosy is caused by a bacteria known as Microbacterium leprae, which specifically targets and destroys a person's central nervous system. Now, because the bacteria, known as leprosy, finds itself gravitating towards cooler temperatures, the bacteria likes cooler temperature, the disease affects, initially affects, areas that are cooler, such as a person's skin, before then moving to other areas such as hands and feet and nose, ears, etc., areas that are cooler than your core. Now, as the bacteria destroys the nerve endings, it produces within the person a numbness and later disfigurement. Most Bible students, when we think of leprosy, we think of a disease that literally begins to eat you away. And that like, in the process of time, you'll be, you know, giving another leper a high five and boom, a finger goes flying off because like, it's just like your whole body's rotting itself away. We get that kind of mental picture that, you know, you know, you wake up in the morning, you're brushing your teeth, you know, you go to pick a booger and your whole nose comes flying off, like that leprosy somehow, just like things just start falling off. 
magically. And thus, that's why there's this deformity and there's this disfigurement that's often associated with leprosy. But please understand that it's not the case. That doesn't mean there's not disfigurement. But what leprosy does is it destroys your ability to sense touch. You lose the ability to feel. And so, if you, in the process of time, you're losing the ability to feel from your fingers, your nose, your toes, your feet. As you're losing the ability to feel and your nerves are dying because they're being eaten by the bacteria, what happens is now your natural warning system of, hey, danger, this is painful, don't continue to do this, has been turned off. And in the process of time, accidents begin to carry a lot more consequence. In the first century, lepers lived in colonies. They lived in, in deplorable, horrible environments. And if you were a leper, you might be walking down the street, making your way, you know, and you've stepped on a shard of glass that's gone through your foot. You don't know it because the nerves haven't communicated signals to your brain that this is going on and ouch, you should address that problem. And so without knowing it, you could just be walking along, bleeding out all over the place. And in the process of that, it becomes infected. It becomes worse, it becomes sorest. And so things begin to happen. It's been known that a leper could go to sleep. You know, they're trying to get their core warm. They're staying near a fire. And maybe they're a tosser, a turner, and, and while they sleep, and so their arm goes flailing into the fire. Now, most normal people will immediately be given an indicator to the point you'll wake up and you're like, holy crap, my arm's on fire. I need to address this. But the leper who can't feel that, their arm is just being burned and scorched, and they wake up in the morning and it's like, there's the bone. And it's like, holy, oh my goodness, this isn't good. You could go to sleep and a big old gigantic rat comes working its way through the camp. That big old rat sees your face and says, hmm, that ear looks pretty good and starts nibbling away. Now, most normal people, if a rat gets onto their bed in the middle of the night, they kind of know it. They get up, especially if it starts eating on you. But you might wake up if you're a leper and see that half your ear had been eaten off in the nighttime and you have no idea why because you couldn't feel anything. That's often how the disfigurement associated with leprosy develops. Not like something magically happens and things fall off, but rather because I can no longer feel pain and the process of that, I'm no longer able to be sensitive when I'm doing something that harms me. That all ties in. Symptoms of leprosy first present as fatigue and aching joints. Most of you will immediately start thinking, I have leprosy. <laughs> oh no, fatigue, joint pain, and then this is often followed by a red rash. Oh no, I was kind of itching that spot last week. But that red rash, it continues to fester until it turns white and it becomes scaly. That rash then begins to spread across the entire area of your body. If you're still at the point thinking, oh no, I have leprosy, please go see a doctor. If you have white scaly rashes all over your body, you don't need to be here. Go see a physician. 
But over time, all of these areas, these scaly white rashes, produce festering sores. It attacks the skin. Now, it's been said that you could smell a leper from at least 150 paces away. Because of the sores and the inability to address them, there was a stench that often came with a leper. And sores, skin legions, they do accompany the disease, but please remember the damage is done because the person has lost the ability to sense touch or pain. As the disease continues, it destroys the nervous system. Joints subsequently begin to tighten. Then they begin to loosen. Their elasticity starts to go away. Hands and feet, because of the disease, begin to form into claw-like shapes, making it very painful to walk or to be able to pick up things. Later, the disease moves into the spine, causing severe spinal deformation. It's difficult to walk, difficult to move, difficult to even lay down if you're a leper. The person would experience hair loss. They would have their finger and toenails loosen and fall out. Later on, as the, as the disease progresses, the gums loosen and teeth fall out, making it hard to get nourishment. If all of this couldn't get worse, leprosy doesn't kill you quickly. Leprosy is a slow-moving, debilitating kind of ailment that forced people to live with the disease for nine to ten years before ultimately dying. During Jesus' day, lepers were known as the living dead. We might call them the walking dead. Aside from the obvious physical effects, you should also understand the emotional, social, and religious effects that leprosy also brought with it. According to Leviticus chapter 13, once a leper was diagnosed as being unclean and infected, he was no longer allowed to come and worship God and the temple or to make sacrifices to atone for sin. He was alienated completely from God. More often than not, the conventional wisdom stated that an individual being struck with leprosy clearly must have done or committed some severe sin to deserve such a punishment, to be alienated from God, to be cut off some, from sacrifice. Therefore, the religious leaders often referred to the disease as, of leprosy as the finger of God, that God would smite people with leprosy who deserved the disease of leprosy. Sadly, modern medicine has discovered that leprosy is actually not very contagious. But in the first century, the disease was shrouded in so much mystery that you were forced upon being declared unclean and being alienated from God, you were forced to leave behind your family, your friends, your work, your community. You could not even go home to pack a bag. Since this was such a devastating development, to cope with the loss, most family members, they would have a funeral for the leper, which, you know, would allow them some closure and the ability to move on with their lives. This is before the leper's dead, mind you. Upon diagnosing leprosy, 
You're like, I just have a rash. Let me come home. And you're like, no. And then they have a funeral for you. And you're at a distance watching your funeral. It was horrible. In the end, lepers were forced to live a life of loneliness and communal living with other lepers. Though Mark doesn't indicate for us how long this character, this leper, had been dealing with the disease. Luke's account, Dr. Luke describes him as being full of leprosy. The man's disease was well advanced. At this point in our story, verse 40, he had not only been alienated from God, and he had not only not seen or been in contact with his loved ones for up to 10 years, but his body at this point was a horrible shell of its former self. He would probably, for sake of mental picture, look like a zombie. Now, our scene of activity. Though Mark doesn't give us the location for this particular event, it seems from Matthew's account that you can place this story directly following Jesus completing his sermon on the mount. The leper makes his way through the crowd. He's coming to Jesus. Now, the leper, the leper demonstrates quite an amazing amount of faith in his action. Since leprosy was viewed as being contagious, the law stipulated that a leper had to stay at least 100 feet away from clean people. And he was forced to ring a bell as he would make an approach. He would then be commanded that he would need to cry out, unclean, unclean, so people knew a leper was coming and they could get out of his way. As this man makes his way through a crowd, a congregation, to get to Jesus, you can see him ringing this bell, crying out, unclean, unclean, unclean. People are diving out of the way. People are running. They're scurrying. But they're also treating this man in a horrible way. You know the Pharisees? The Pharisees would often brag about how poorly they treated lepers. They would brag about how accurate they were when they would throw rocks to keep lepers away. Don't forget, they saw this as being the finger of God, that they were being judged. This leper, as he makes his way, you can imagine the ridicule, the humiliation, the scorn, very possibly even the obscenities that this man faced when he had to abandon the norm and make his way through a crowd of people. Mark describes him. He describes the man as coming to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down, or basically prostrate before Jesus. The picture that Mark is painting for us is one of submission, desperation, and respect. This leper it's clear. He did not care at all what anyone thought of him. He didn't care about the scorn or the insults hurled his way. He didn't care about the obscenities. This man wanted and was determined to make his way to the feet of Jesus. And as the man is making his way through the crowd, 
At some point, his declaration of unclean, unclean, unclean transitions to him saying, if you are willing, directed to Jesus, you can make me clean. Now, the verb usage here indicates that this wasn't something that the man declared one time. As though he makes his way through the crowd, he falls at the feet of Jesus, he's laying prostrate, and he makes this declaration or the singular statement, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The verb tense indicates that this was something, as he transitions from unclean, unclean, he transitions to if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. It is something he is repeating over and over and over and over again. Even after making this directed to Jesus, he still continues under bated breath to repeat this over and over and over again as he waits for a response. You sense this honest, sincere man making a desperate plea for health, which is pretty awesome considering. You know, most people when we approach Jesus, when we come to Jesus on our knees, laying prostrate before the Lord, do you know often we come to Jesus giving to Jesus our list of wishes and wants? Jesus, please give me this or get me out of that or provide this or provide that. However, this man he came to Jesus not asking what Jesus could give to him, but rather what Jesus could make of him. He didn't come saying, Jesus, give me, but Jesus, make me. That was the man's request. And wow, right on. What intuition, what faith. And do you notice that the man never doubts Jesus' ability to perform the miracle. He never doubts Jesus' ability to heal him, but he rather questions Jesus' willingness. If you are willing, you can make me clean. He never doubts whether Jesus could, whether Jesus had the authority, or whether he possessed the power. He showed incredible faith here, considering that Jesus had never healed a person of leprosy at this point in his ministry. Jesus had healed other ailments. Jesus had cast out demons. Jesus had caused blind people and lame people to see and to walk. Jesus had performed miracles, but he had never healed a person of leprosy. If you are willing. It shows incredible faith. But it also reveals to us the devastating effects that this disease had wrought on his soul. Think about it. The religious culture saw his condition as the judgment of God. They viewed the man, he viewed himself as condemned, a lost soul, the walking dead, that God did not want anything to do with him because of his sin and because of his misdeeds. He doesn't quest, 
question his ability, but willing is if you are willing, which meant that within himself, he wasn't sure if Jesus would be willing. This man knew that Jesus was a good man. And I think we can even surmise that he saw Jesus as being divine. But in his mind, he questions whether or not Jesus would want to heal him of a disease that he viewed as being divine punishment. Now, there's no doubt that the disease of leprosy was viewed as a type of a picture of sin in Scripture. I mean, there is an expositional constancy when examining leprosy and how it correlates to that of sin. Leviticus was viewed by Jewish scholars as being the very center of the Mosaic law. And why? Because it's the very center of the Mosaic law. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so there's five, the center book, they just saw as being the center of the law. And of the center of the law, the very center of Leviticus was chapters 13 and 14, which contained, interestingly enough, the protocols for diagnosing leprosy as well as declaring a person healed of leprosy. This was not seen as a coincidence, but rather intentional by God, that leprosy, this disease, was to bear a striking resemblance to sin, and thus how someone was declared a leper and thus declared healed of leprosy, all of this was strategic. It wasn't a coincidence. It was intentional. Think for a moment. The effects of leprosy, they do bear a striking resemblance to the effects of sin. They are both an immediate death sentence. If you were declared a leper, you were a dead man walking. If you are born into sin, the wages of sin is what? Death. Infected with the disease of sin, we are dead people walking. The walking dead. They both separate you from God. You go back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, the immediate result was what? They could no longer walk with God. They could no longer live in the garden. They were alienated now from God. They no longer possessed the same access to God that they once had, nor did a leper. He could no longer come to the temple. He could no longer worship. He was separated. Both leprosy and sin, they both destroy community and relationships. Immediately, Adam and Eve affected with sin, what did they do? They started blaming each other, right? For why they were in the predicament. They started to play the blame game. There was an immediate problem, and they sensed they, they were naked, like, wow, we should clothe ourselves. And then the first family, we see problems happening with sin. In the first family, the first two boys, one kills the other. I mean, sin creates social and communal problems, relational problems. Sin is a direct, it's guilty. Guilty is charged. And leprosy. Leprosy did the same thing, didn't it? Upon being declared a leper, you couldn't go home. It destroyed the relationship that you had with your wife, with your kids, with your friends. You know, sin destroys your relationships. Very similar. And like leprosy, sin too destroys the body. 
Have you seen someone who has really lived a life of sin? That you can see it? Like physically, you can see it? We called it, you know, someone that's lived a weathered life. Someone that's lived a hard life. You know, sin destroys us. I mean, ultimately, it's why we die. It's sin and the consequence. But sin is slowly killing us. Sinful behavior. Sinful act. Sinful habits slowly kill us. Not only that, but think of the literal effects. Leprosy destroys your ability to sense touch. It causes you to be numb. Leprosy, as, it's, as it develops, its greatest, how it wreaks the greatest amount of harm to a person is that I no longer am sensitive to the very things that do the most harm to me. I lose my bearing. I mean, think about leprosy and sin and, and the correlation there. Sin. The more I continue in sin, the more I engage in sinful habits or sinful activity, the more I do these things, the more I become numb to them. The more I end up engaging in behavior that harms me because I no longer sense the effects that it's wreaking on my own life. Not only that, but think that the law, the law could only diagnose both. The law diagnosed a leper and the law diagnosed the sinner, but the law had no effect to heal either. The law could declare someone clean, but it couldn't cleanse a person because once you were infected with leprosy or sin, it only told you how bad the disease was, was developing in your own life. But we're told that Jesus... Then Jesus, being moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and he touched him. And he said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Then Jesus moved with compassion. I think the best definition of compassion is having your pain in my heart. The word usage here literally tells us that Jesus was emotionally moved. He was stirred. He was gripped in the deepest parts of his being by the situation that was unfolding in front of him. When he looked at this leper, it's evident he saw more than just a leper. But he saw the plight of all humanity. That he saw this man's leprosy, and in that leprosy he saw sin. And he was moved. He was gripped. The very thing that infected all of us. We've all been infected with the disease of sin, which once it runs its course will leave a person as disfigured and deformed and desperate as the leper. You know, to me it's fitting that following the first two miracles Mark records, one where Jesus spoke and the miracle took place, and another where the catalyst was instead touching. He spoke to the demon. The demon came out. He touched Peter's mother-in-law, and she was healed. Here in the third miracle that Mark records, we find the combination of two, that he touched the leper, and then he spoke. You know, if you carefully examine the order of the events here, and I'm not trying to nitpick. There's a purpose behind this. I think something significant emerges you might miss otherwise. Jesus, we're told, first saw the leper. 
according to our text. He saw the leper. Then we're told he was moved with compassion. Thirdly, according to Mark's account, Jesus then reached out and touched the leper. Then he spoke to the leper saying, I am willing to be cleansed. Then the leprosy left him. Now, according to the flow that Mark provides, understand what he's saying. Mark is telling us that Jesus was touching the man, a leper, before the man was actually healed. Because the healing didn't come until Jesus spoke the words to be healed, and then the leprosy left him. So as Jesus is touching the leper, according to Mark's account, the man's still a leper. He's still a leper, which meant that Jesus would have immediately been considered leprous until he went and presented himself to the priest at the temple and was declared to be either clean or unclean. Understand, when Jesus touches the leper, the apostles freak out. Like, they freak out. Like, they've probably already, you know, dove for cover as the man approaches. They were probably right there hurling the same kind of insults to the man. Some of them were probably looking as the bodyguards of Jesus, who should jump out and keep the leper from infecting Jesus. None of them do any of this. And when Jesus touches the man, it's like, oh no, Jesus, you might have gone too far with this one because he would have been viewed as leprous. Understand, and this is important, that Jesus first identified with the leper by touching him. Then Jesus became leprous. Then Jesus healed the man. But Jesus didn't have to present himself anywhere. Why? because he was no, not leprous, and he got rid of the evidence, because the man wasn't leprous. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that Scripture tells us that Jesus became sin to pay for sin so that he could cleanse sin? Jesus touched the leper, healed the leper. He took the leprosy. I was listening to one pastor this week who made kind of a snide remark, you know, immediately the leprosy left. And he kind of made the comment, well, where did the leprosy go? And he was trying to be comical and whatnot, and I got that. But could it be, as I was thinking, that the leprosy left the man because Jesus absorbed the leprosy? Where did it go? That it went right through Jesus' hand? Possibly. There are seven common I am statements made by Jesus in the gospel. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of the light and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Seven I am statements made by Jesus. But you know, I think I've discovered an eighth. As a matter of fact, I think it's the most powerful of all of them. Imagine you're the leper and you hear these words tickle your ears, I am willing. I think it's the eight I am statement. And wow, isn't that powerful? Do you realize that when it comes to your sin and the effects that it's had on your life, 
and your relationships, on your person, that Jesus, if you would simply come, is willing. That he is willing to heal and to restore and to cleanse. You know, there are probably even some of you as Christians this morning who have been doing some things that you know are not right. You've been engaging in sinful behavior you know is destructive. And you've sensed, even within your own soul, a numbing effect taking place. And you get exhorted, come to the cross. Come to Jesus. Ask Jesus to heal. He is so willing and ready. And we often are hesitant. Why? Because, well, Zach, you don't know what I've been doing. Zach, you don't, I don't, you know, we often question whether Jesus would be willing I know Jesus can, but I don't know if he would want to. I mean, he died on the cross to pay for my sins, and I can't stop looking at porn. How could Jesus, does Jesus, does he, does he care? I don't know, Zach, I don't know. Jesus had never healed someone of leprosy, and this man comes, and he says, I know you can do it. I just don't know if you want to. I don't know if I'm deserving of it. And Jesus was stirred. He was moved. He was passionate. And what does he say? He says, I am willing. I am willing. Which leads us to two immediate results. First, immediately the leprosy left the man. The man was no longer stricken with the disease. He was completely healed. It was a total healing. And then we're told, secondly, that he was cleansed. Now, I'm of the opinion that not only was this man no longer a leper, that the leprosy had left him, that he no longer had the disease, the bacteria flowing through his veins and in his arms and in his legs and his being, but I'm of the opinion because (laughs) lightning, unbelievable, I'm of the opinion that there are two distinctions being made here. People showed up this morning and was like, it's a beautiful day, I'm leaving the windows down, and now are rushing after the lightning bolt that I should roll up my windows. There goes another. (laughs) Now here's the deal. Jesus, I am willing, he cleanses the man. We're told by Mark that two things happen. The leprosy leaves, and then he's cleansed. So what is the distinction being made here? I think not only was the disease removed, but that the man, the full effects of the disease were reversed. That I think this man, as he's standing there, he was fully consumed with leprosy. It had taken an incredible, horrible toll on his physical body. And Jesus heals him, and now no longer is he stricken with the disease, that the disease has stopped, but I think immediately his nose came back, and the sores went away, and his claw-like hands restored, and fingernails came back, and his teeth were restored. I think the whole man's body was restored just as good as new. And you know why I believe that? Because Jesus does the same miracle when healing us of sin. That Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, to set up liberty the captive, to restore sight to the blind. Yes, in a literal sense, but also in a spiritual sense for you and for I. Verse 43, we're told, 
that Jesus strictly warned the man and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them or to the priests. Now, before we get into the uniqueness and significance of Jesus' command to tell no one, truthfully, we'll get into that next week, I want to begin by looking at the second half of Jesus' command to go your way, to show yourself to the priest as a testimony to them. Leviticus 13 was the protocol of diagnosing someone of being infected with leprosy. Leviticus 14 laid out the protocol by which the priest would declare someone to have been cleansed. No one has ever been cleansed or Leviticus 14 ever used. When it came to Israel, there were only two people in the Old Testament that had been healed of leprosy. First was Miriam, Moses' sister. There's no law. And immediately Moses commanded and she was healed. The second was Nahum, the Syrian, who was a Gentile. And the way that he ended up being declared cleansed is he went down to the Jordan, dunked seven times, came up, and leprosy was gone. Leviticus 14 has never been used before. No leper has ever been cleansed in Israel. And the priests have never, they've used Leviticus 13 all the time. They've never used Leviticus 14. So Jesus tells the leper, go to the priest. And it would be the high priest. The very guy that ended up earlier on declaring you to be unclean, you need to now go and have him declare you to be clean. And there's this whole ritual about it. Follow me real quick. The high priest would take two doves. This is Leviticus 14. He would take two doves, one earthen vessel filled with water, hyssop, a cedar stick that had a scarlet thread attached to it. The priest would then take the leper outside of the city walls. He would kill the first dove, would drain the blood into the earthen vessel containing the living water. He would then tie the hyssop to the cedar stick that has already has the scarlet thread wrapped around it, and he would take the hyssop with the cedar stick and the scarlet thread, would dip it into the bloody water from the earthen vessel, and would sprinkle it on the second dove. At that point, the second dove would then be released and set free. One commentator even observed, and he didn't even mean to, he said, one dove dies and the other was washed in the blood and set free. Think about that for a moment. At this point, according to Leviticus 14, the leper would then have to remain in isolation for seven days, just to make sure that the leprosy didn't come back. Following this, he would then have to shave his entire body and be re-examined. If he was still found to be without leprosy, he would be placed back into isolation for one more day. If the leprosy was still gone, no leprosy, the man would then be taken in front of the congregation of the people and declared by the high priest as being cleansed. At this point, a blood sacrifice would be offered for the man. The priest would uh, take the blood of the sacrificial lamb. He would take that blood and he would sprinkle it upon the man's right ear, his right thumb, and his right foot. Then he would take oil 
and do the same thing, sprinkling it upon the man's right ear, right hand, and right foot. This has never happened before. So the leper comes, and the high priest is like, wait, we can do that? And he's like starting to consult the other priest, like, how do we do this? And they're like, oh yeah, I remember this back in Bible college, Leviticus 14, never read it again. Uh, we should turn there. And they're reading this protocol, and I can see like they got the handbook out, and they're going through this process. They're going through this process. Now, Jesus commanded this man to go and to present himself to the high priest for a reason, to be a testimony to the priest. Testimony of what? At this point, Caiaphas is the high priest. Caiaphas, that name should ring a bell. He would have never performed this ritual. He would have gone out. He would have performed it. He would have been blown away. He would have been shocked. He would have declared the man unclean. I mean, the man cleansed. He would have gone through this whole process. And this is what would have been communicated. For the first time in the history of Israel, lepers are being cleansed in Israel. And the whole time, these Jews, these religious leaders, saw leprosy as a picture of sin. And what was the testimony? Sinners are being cleansed. And this was a testimony to Caiaphas, who would later what? Sentence Jesus to death. Could it be that Leviticus 14 was literally written for Caiaphas? It was never used before. It was used only by Caiaphas during the time Jesus spent healing lepers. And it would never be used afterwards. You want to talk about a testimony. Written to the very priest who would sentence the Messiah to death. Could he really stand and say and plead ignorance? Don't overlook, though, the significance of this ritual. The doves, they represent a common man's offering, the poor man's offering. So the doves represent the normal man. An earthen vessel filled with living water represents the humanity, the earthen vessel, but the divinity of Jesus man of the earth filled with living water. Jesus told the Samaritan woman, what? I'll give you living water so you'll never thirst again. Hyssop. Hyssop was used in cleansing someone who had been defiled by a dead body. In Psalms 51, it's interesting that David asked God to purge him with hyssop. David saw himself as a spiritual leper needing cleansing. The cedar stick you don't have to use your imagination too much. Jesus was crucified on a cedar cross. And what do we find on the cedar? We find a scarlet thread. Because, you know, it's by his blood that we are healed. The second dove is freed because that dove was covered by the blood of the dove offered first as a sacrifice. What a powerful symbolism of salvation and redemption and justification. But then, but then what happens? The blood of the sacrifice, it's sprinkled on the man's right ear and his thumb and his right foot. 
Do you know when we've been healed of sin, when the atoning work of Jesus takes place on our behalf, that we have the blood covering us, propitiation for our sins. That you know, this healing should change what we listen to or what we hear. That the blood should change what we do with our hands. And it should change where we go with our feet. But then, we know we don't go at it alone, right? Because then what follows? Oil is also sprinkled on the ear and the hand and the foot. Oil is always a picture of the Holy Spirit. Because following this, not only does, does it affect what we hear and, and what we do and where we go, but wh what we hear and what we do and where we go should all be influenced by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This picture, this miracle, this leper, the truth this is a picture of us. It's a picture of you. It's ultimately a picture of what Jesus would do on the cross. If, if, Jesus would say to you this morning, I am willing. Be cleansed. And so, Father, Father, 